as a kid, I remember going through the toy aisles at the local Walmart or Target or you name it. And I always wanted to pick up the eight ball and see what it would say. But my parents wouldn't let me because I grew up in a pretty strict house. Like you're inviting the devil into your household. You have an eight ball because people on the radio and people on television and you name it, we're, we're talking about it. And now listen, 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 listen. Uh, so, so some people would say, that's a gateway. That's a gateway to a Ouija board right there, that eight ball, you know. Ne- next thing you know, incantations and whatnot. And, and, and I respect my parents for being uh, ones that had strong guardrails on us. Um, but, you know, even talking with them lately, they say, oh, you know, it's, it's just a game. And inside this eight ball is some liquid, some um, liquid alcohol. Oh, alcohol, that's why they wouldn't let, no, uh, rubbing alcohol, everybody. Uh, alcohol in there, and, and there's uh, uh, basically a dice that's got about 20 responses on it. Ten are positive, five are non-committal, and five are negative. And the whole idea of the eight ball is to ask a question and then figure out as you turn it over and the, the little dice comes up, you find out what it says. Now, obviously, if you lived your life with that kind of carelessness on decision-making, uh, yeah, you ought to have these banned from your life. None of us want to make decisions like that, yet it may not be that we're holding a proverbial, an eight ball, but proverbially, we are actually operating because we don't know the right question to ask when faced with tough decisions. Um, A few months ago, I was listening to a podcast and this question was posed. What's the greatest question you could ever ask? And it was the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. And um, he wrote a book called Ask It. And it's where we got this idea. And we even got the book. Uh, He's a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. And we got that book, so got several copies and put it in Cafe Aroma. And it's gonna be a great supplement. I'm not gonna go exactly in that direction, but just something great for you in the cafe to ask the most important question. What if you had a question that you could ask before every decision you make for about 90% of the decisions you make and you could live with less tears, less regrets and greater clarity? Would you ask the question? Of course you would. Of course you would. At least you want to think you would. That's what this series is all about. Now, before we go, it, wouldn't, it would be good if I could maybe figure, does my wife think I look good today? Oh, it's not showing up. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's not good. Very doubtful. Okay. Earlier I asked, because my mother-in-law was in the service, what, does my mother-in-law think I look good? It is decidedly so. That's awkward. <laughs> That's awkward. Oh my goodness. Are these people going to get out on time today? Don't count on it. That is hilarious and probably a little too true. Okay. In order for us to figure out the best question to ever ask, which is steeped in scripture, steeped in the Bible. We gotta go to the word as our biblical foundation. So what I'm gonna do is over the next four weeks, we're gonna talk about this question, this most important one question you should ask before you make major and little decisions. And we're gonna build the first two weeks, today and next week, the biblical foundation so that we understand what we're standing on. And then the next two weeks, practical application. Biblical foundation, and then we're gonna do practical application. We're gonna figure out how to ask this question on morality, sexuality, finances, on our time, 
on our relationships? If we would have asked this question 12 years ago, oh, think of the regrets we could have saved. And I want you to be asking this question in 2017, like you've never asked it before because you're gonna face decisions like you've never faced before. In order to get started, I want to um, go to the book of Proverbs because Proverbs is really the book of wisdom in the Bible. And I wanna build a foundation of understanding wisdom. Wisdom being the key principle that's gonna help you understand the best question you could ever ask. Wisdom is key in the life of a consistent, faithful Christ follower. And so I wanna read these scriptures to you. If you have your Bible, I'll be reading from the NIV. If you have your Bible, read. If not, read right here from from the screen. Here we go. The Proverbs are the sayings of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Solomon is known as the, he's an actual real character. He's not some made up fairy tale kind of thing in the Bible. The Bible is, is full of archeological factual stuff. Solomon actually lived. He was the wisest man, the richest man who's ever lived. Um, and, and Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, he had a lot to say about wisdom. And he gave us a lot through also his partnerships of other people that provided teachings. He says, here's the Proverbs for gaining what? Wisdom and instruction for understanding words of insight, seeing in to things. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, not to be a prude, but to have prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. The Proverbs are for giving prudence to those who are simple, Knowledge and discretion to the young. How many parents know we need some knowledge and discretion in our young? Let the wise listen and add. Now look at this. Let the wise listen and add. Just because you gain wisdom doesn't mean you've arrived. He's saying once you're wise, listen, you still got to listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning, those that have made good decisions, those that can, can consider the cost of stuff before paying for it, let the discerning get guidance still. For understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, this is what we need wisdom and guidance for to understand Proverbs and parables. And when you face decisions, sometimes it's like a riddle. It's like a riddle in life. What seems to be the right way, mm, it's not the right way. Or something that has three options and you don't know which one to engage for that specific deal. Something's awry at the office and you don't know, should I confront it? Or as of right now, should I ignore it? Should I discuss it? Should I approach it? Should I forget it? And wisdom and discernment helps us uh, sift through the options and come up with wisdom at the end of it. So we gotta understand these things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son. This isn't just listen, student. Listen, uh, you know, you that have no relationship. This is very personal to you and to me. Listen, son. Listen, daughter. Listen, Listen to your father's instruction. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. They're going to kill you. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. 
And I want us all to say it out loud together. Ready? Let's go. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. That's what God wants for your life. Doesn't mean that everything's gonna be a perfect shiny road, but it means you can live in wisdom and knowledge and understanding when we listen to what he has to say to us. Father, for the next few moments we have, open our hearts and our eyes, open our ears. May we walk palms up in this teaching and may we walk forward, not just being hearers of the word, but doers of the word also. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. So I wanna pose a few questions this morning about wisdom and we're gonna, we're gonna build up to the biggest question we should be asking that we'll be talking about. So question number one, what is wisdom? What truly is wisdom? Because a lot of people think they have wisdom, but they're not wise. Okay, is, is, is wisdom knowledge? Yes. Is knowledge wisdom? No. Because you can have knowledge about something and not be wise. But you cannot be wise without having knowledge. So it's this delicate deal of finding wisdom. So let's look in verse one and two, we see that wisdom is for insight, which basically means noticing or imagining differences and distinctions. So from a parent to a spouse, to an executive that manages a large company. When I engage wisdom, I find more insight to notice and imagine differences and distinctions. When other people come to you and say, there's no other way, this is the only way we can do it. Wisdom helps us engage insight that other people may not see. And you notice and say, well, it's, it's not the only way we could do it. We could, we could do it this way, we could do it that way. You can imagine, well, what if we tried this? What if we changed that? What if we, what if we turned that around? What if we re, repurposed that building? We could, we could imagine, that's, that's wisdom. You know, when we first went to build a kid's center, what we first did is we had a plan out here to build in a completely different building. And it was gonna be separated and connected. And the more we thought about that and the more we prayed for wisdom, the more we realized we needed to use the already space. So we had to give up a gym and we had to give up classrooms and we had to give up some other things in our, in our facility because we could imagine leveraging this facility for a whole lot more than just a gymnasium and little classrooms because groups were gonna be out in homes more. And that was the more healthy, the healthier thing to do anyway. And so inside gives us the ability to notice and imagine differences. It also gives us, as we read, prudence, which is like practical application. And so wisdom is not only having insight, but it's also like foresight. It's, it's, it's noticing and imagining, but it's also the strategy and, and the ability to solve and do something. So not just discover an issue, but like solve an issue. And wisdom gives us uh, the corners on both of that, uh, both of those issues. Number three, wisdom gives us depth of character. It, it deepens, character basically comes from this word um, being engraved. It's like an engraving. You know how you, you chisel away at some statue? Like character is like engraving what, what you've been engraved to become. And it gives you a depth of character. Now listen, can you be, can you be wise and, and be uh, no good and immoral? Actually, no, no. 
Um, but, but can you be moral and good and still be unwise? Yes. In fact, you may, you may wanna write this down and tell it to some friends. You can be good and moral and stupid. You can, you can, come on now. It's like, it's like that friend of yours who just, who just you know, broke up with, with that boyfriend of a couple of years and now she's back, she's back on the prowl, baby. And, and, and now she, the person she broke up with, they were this, 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 and this, and oh, I didn't like this, 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 and this. And then they found someone who's the exact same thing. And yet they love Jesus, they go to church, they surrender God, they pay their tithe, you name it. They're a good person, they're a moral person. They've got boundaries, right? They they, 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 they got boundaries, but then they make stupid decisions. So you can have good and moral Christianity and be a Christ follower, but there's also some innocence and stupidity that can follow with it that you gotta grow in wisdom to battle. Question number two, that's what is wisdom? This is why is wisdom so important? Why why do we need not just knowledge? The the, the truth is you don't need another sermon. You can go on YouTube and watch millions of sermons from millions of better preachers. But what you need is engage wisdom to respond to a sermon, to to respond to the word. We already prayed it already. God, may we be not only hearers, but doers. And wisdom is so important because it takes our knowledge and it engages it in the right way at the right time with the right delivery system. That's what wisdom does. And so why is it so important? Because living without wisdom will kill you, the Bible says. Let's look at it again. Look at it. How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's like the guy who can, can do the wheelies on the motorcycle. And he gets the motorcycle on top of the barn one day and he's going to jump the bus. He says, here, hold my koozie. He's going to get killed. They're going to kill him. Because he's going wayward. <laughs> when we're wayward, we're, we're, we're off the path. We invite danger into our life. And so we've seen three different categories there besides the wise. So we have wisdom in people, but then we have the fool, we have the simple and the, and the mocker. So let's talk about the simple for a moment. Who are the simple people? The Bible talks about those that are, that are simple. Well, we would look at it like this. They're naive. As I mentioned already, they're wayward. They, here's the path. Stay on the trail. There's poisonous snakes beyond the trail. And they're like, oh, I want to go see what a poisonous snake looks like. That's simple and stupid, naive, naive. They, they, you know what else, you know what else? They care way, everybody say way too much about the opinion of others. The simple person is, they don't know what they don't know yet. And they care way too much about what other people think. My son's eight, he cares way too much about what other people think. He's got a little, little scratch on his arm. Doesn't, you know, looks kind of yucky. Had to wear a long sleeve shirt in the basketball games yesterday because he didn't want anybody to see his scratch because at school a few days ago, somebody made fun of it. And now he cares way too much about what other people think. And he's wearing long sleeves into the basketball. It's like they're drooping down here. He's like, yeah, he's gonna be Michael Jordan, you know, and then flapping those long sleeves, you know. Go son. <laughs> He cares way too much. 
you know, the, um, it's not in a Bible, but a prophet, uh, prophetess, um, you, you may have heard a lot of, of her pro- prophetic writings, um, Taylor Swift, she said, uh, <laughs> she, 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 she wrote a, a song called 15, called 15. And, and one of the lyrics is, when you're 15, someone's gonna tell you they love you and you're gonna believe them. Anybody ever been 15 and someone told them they love you and you believed them? I know what love is. Love is a check yes or no and I'm 15, right? I know what love is. That's that gold you know, necklace I bought you from Claire's. <laughs> no, you're simple. You're simple. You don't understand real love. Listen, I mean, if you're 15, you say, no, you don't understand. <laughs> okay, let's do it this way. Okay, we love every generation at this table. I love that we got young and old in this room. Love it, love it, love it. But I'm gonna tell you, a target here is reaching the next generation. Okay, now you're old. Well, if you're older, say, well, what about, what about our generation? Your generation matters too. But I wanna tell you, you wanna change a community? You wanna change the future? Let's get them while they're young because the devil would love nothing more than get a handlebar in their life when they're young. And so we're going, we are going to fight and we're going to spend money and we're going to develop and we're going to build and we're going to have a clear crystal focus on the target of the bullseye of reaching the next generation. With that said, if you're under 21, raise a hand. Awesome. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Awesome. Okay. I want you to listen to me for a second. Okay. Love you. Don't get mad. How many of you over 21? Raise a hand. Okay, easy, everybody's happy, <laughs> chill out. Okay, so for the over 21, over 21, over 21, okay. How many of you, when you were younger, over 21, you said, my parents don't get it. They don't understand me. They don't understand the way real life works. Raise a hand. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Of course, over 21, over 21, here we go. But later in life, you faced something, you saw something, you had a, an ouch and you said, huh, I guess that teacher or parent or mom or dad or older brother, I guess they did kind of know what they were talking about. How many of you had that experience? Of course, pay attention under 21, pay attention. I'm telling you, there's just something that's simple about not experiencing life that we assume we know, but we don't know what we don't know. And then you get older and you look back and you say, I was so blind, I was so silly. I used to think, why why can't you just swipe the card? Money's gotta be out there somewhere. And now I'm saying what my parents said, you know, hey, you don't, you know, you don't, money doesn't grow on trees. But you learn, you learn and you lose the simplicity of life. But you know what? You can be old and be simple. You can be continually caring way too much about what someone said a long time ago and it's affected you. It's affected your image. It's affected your boldness, it's affected your relationships. And you might be wise over here when it comes to finances. You can manage money and you can do this and do that and gain interest and save. 
but you're really simple when it comes to relationships. It's like, why do I keep making horrible mistakes relationally and yet I can make the right decisions financially? It's because we can sit in the chair of the simple when it comes to finances and be really wise when it comes to relationships or vice versa. That's not just it. The fool, Uh uh-oh, the fool. I pity the fool. That's what I was gonna call this at first, but changed my mind. I pity the fool. Here's what it is. They know the difference between right and wrong and they don't care. I'm gonna do it anyway. I know, I know, I'm fine. Let me live my life. Yeah, okay, okay. This is, I know that's what you say. I know it's what the Bible says, but, but, but you know, God knows my heart. Mm-hmm. Anybody ever been there? Oh, it's foolish. We know the difference. And you know what? We don't care enough about other people, what other people think. So we start with caring too much, then we don't care enough. And it doesn't just stop there. Look, 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 here's how, look at the Bible says in Proverbs. This is the, the challenge of dealing with foolish people. Verse four in Proverbs 26, don't answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. So don't, an- do not answer a fool. But then the very next scripture, look what it says. Answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. What is the Bible saying here? It's not a mistake. It's saying if you don't answer him or you answer him, it don't matter. If all they care about is what they think, if they allow pride to be the the throne wherein they sit and stand, you can answer them according to their folly or you can be backward and they're gonna still mess up. They're still just gonna, you know, love to mess up their life. You know what, you know what? Nobody gets into a marriage. Nobody makes a financial deal. Nobody builds a house. Nobody accepts a job with the intention of how am I gonna screw this up? Nobody does that. But here's what it looks like. Nobody, nobody intends to mess up their life. It's just that some people don't plan not to mess up their life. Nobody intends to mess up. Students, listen to me. You, 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 you've made a regret. You, you've had a regret. You didn't mean that, of course. But unless you plan not to mess, mess up, Unless you, unless you plan not to make a good guardrail to keep you in the right place, you go wayward. And that's foolishness. It's foolishness. The mocker. Now, this is a dangerous place. Because, you know, the simple, there's, there's a direction for them. The, the, the cure is time. The cure is time. So the older I get, the more I look back. Now, sometimes people can get old and stay dumb. That's the truth. Come on now. How many dumb people said amen? No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. That would be dumb for you to answer that. Don't do it. Don't do it. It was a trick. It was a trick. The simple, the cure is time. It takes time. You learn your lesson. For the fool, the, the, the cure is humility. I humble myself and I realize I don't know all there is. I'm willing to hear from others and I'm going to humble myself. The mocker, not a lot of cure for them. And really, here's what, here's what the, the mocker is. They don't just do wrong. They criticize those that do right. Psst. What? You really believe the Bible? Haven't you, like, watched the History Channel lately? Because that's where I get all my information. Haven't you read this blog from this 18-year-old? Because that's wisdom. Oh, God help us. 
Yeah, I know Billy Graham, but you know, Brett777 at yahoo.com makes some really good points. And I know he still lives with his mom and you know, he's like 19, but he, man, he makes some really great points. The apostle Paul, Brett777. And the mocker says, how could you even think that? How could you even do that? That's so stupid. Boy, you hate to be in relationship with a mocker. That hurts. It's hard to go to church when your spouse stays home and mocks you. There's only so much you can take. It's true, isn't it? The mocker is tough. They just criticize those. Now, oh, dear God, I understand if you may be sitting in the chair of the simple, there's hope. Time will help you. You're sitting in the chair of the foolish. Hey, you know what? Humility is the the cure. Sitting in the, the chair of the mocker many times, it's not until that chair gets knocked out from under you that you realize where you are. And that's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. Check your heart on anything you might mock. Anybody, anywhere you might not, not, you just criticize those around you. So basically we see it this, correct the simple, they, they probably won't get you. Correct the fool and he'll ignore you. Correct the mocker and he'll hate you. Correct the wise and they will thank you. Is there any area in your life where when someone says, I I love you and my concern here is you and they're genuine and they're authentic and they really do love you. And they say, I see this in you and I'm concerned. How you respond to that will reveal elements of wisdom in your life or the lack thereof. So they say, this boyfriend is like the other two that you said, I'm never gonna do this again. I hate you. You don't even really know. Well, that's a mocking attitude. Or, uh, I don't even know what you mean. Did, did you see how beautiful his eyes are? Wait, I know, I know. He hit me once like the other guy did, but his eyes are so blue. That's simple and foolish. But someone who's wise will say, okay, this isn't just about me. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel, and I'm going to humble myself, and I want to I wanna be wise. And we got to listen, and we'll thank people. Oh, I've called my dad a timer 10, Wendell. I've called him and I've said, thank you. Thank you for spanking me for that. Because you spanked me for that, I'm not in jail today. Thank you for loving me so much that you would say, hey, dude, hey, listen, I'm not above it as a pastor. I I was wearing my, my, my emotions on my sleeve a couple staff meetings ago. And I shared something that took place. Somebody that rubs me the wrong way. I saw him out in the community. I'm gonna be careful what I say here. Everybody's leaning in. Oh, we interacted. They treated me very rudely, and I returned the favor. And across Cafe Del Rio, I said, "You're a jerk." Yes, ladies and gentlemen, your pastor. No, 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 because I'm gonna tell you something. 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 That's how I felt. That's how I felt at the time. Yes, absolutely. What I told my wife later was, I should have just paid for his meal. I should have just poured, as the Bible says, when we love our enemies, we pour coals of hot fire over their head. Oh, I should have just, I love you. 
but I didn't do it. And, and, and it, you know what? It was a little bit of pride. It was, a, it was pride in me. Was a, this person, I won't tell you who she is. No, I'm kidding. It's, not a, it's a guy. They kind of can act like a jerk. The truth is I can act like a jerk too. And one of my own pastors, will not say is, we'll call him Stephen. You know what he said to me? He said, he, he, he called me, he said, hey man, I love you. Don't, don't, get, don't, don't give that guy a, a, a handlebar on you. And I said, dang it, Stephen. How'd you get so smart? He said, am I overstepping my bounds? I mean, you're my pastor. And I said, dude, if I can't learn from those I lead, I'm not near as smart as I need to be right? Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Now we'll see if I interact with this guy again, because it may, it may be fisticuffs next time. I don't know. I'll love him in the name of Jesus. Uh. Spirit of slap. Uh. But in the meantime, I want to be the pastor that isn't perfect because guess what? If I tell you I'm perfect, I'm a liar but I do want to be a pastor that's grown in wisdom. And Stephen Courtney, I thanked him that day for calling me on something that I was getting something off my chest. I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to learn from that. And I want you to learn too. Oh, thank you, pastor, for being vulnerable. Thank you, pastor, because that really hurts. That feels weird to even tell that out loud, but that's what's going to be me. Now, question number three, and we're almost done here. Why is wisdom such a problem? If it's such a beautiful thing and everybody ought to have it, why is it such a problem to get it? And why are there just a lot of unwise people out there? Can I get an amen? Now, before you amen of the people, everybody. Oh, I know, I wish my friend was here to hear this. Oh, dude, look in a mirror, bro. Why is it such a problem? Well, here's why. Because wisdom is acquired. And foolishness is natural. It is naturally engaged in our DNA to be dumb and to be foolish and to be simple and naive and stupid sometimes. And wisdom is acquired. It's acquired. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, the Bible says. So it's a natural response to things and wisdom takes time to acquire it. Look, 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 nobody can, anybody ever went to, to, to school, hopefully most of you and, and you went to school and you had to cram for a test. You had to cram for an exam and you stayed up like late into the night or got up way, way early and you did the cue cards and you read it and, and you're like, okay, here's the, the, the capitals of every state or you, you know, you learned all, you know, slope intercept form Y equals MX plus B. Uh, which is the only one single thing I know. <laughs> I've just memorized it. Anyway, so, so how many of you ever cram for an exam? Yeah, of course, me too. And you go in, you ace the test, you're like, yeah. But then six hours later, you can't even remember what is the capital of Wyoming. You can't remember it. You can't remember because you just, you crammed. Can I tell you, you can't cram for wisdom. You can't just like, oh, I'm, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the Bible through in a day and that's gonna give me all I need. You can't cram, you, you, it's, 
<laughs> it's like, you know, these 24-hour fitness places, I love them. I mean, Planet, Planet Fitness, you know, I'm a member of Planet Fitness. I can, if, if I go in at eight in the morning until eight in the morning the next day and I come back to the house and I have spent 24 hours working out, it don't matter. I'm not gonna walk into the house and Janet say, whoa. Hello, good looking. She ain't gonna see much change because you can't cram for fitness. You can't cram health. It's cumulative, it takes time and it is acquired and it's a process and you learn and you learn and you go and you go and you learn and you put your reps in. And to get wisdom, you gotta put the reps in. And you wonder why that person's so wise? Oh, I wanna be wise like that. You gotta put some reps of wisdom in to get there. So don't quit short, don't fall short. It's why, we get, it's, why, it's why New Year's resolutions, people get in the gym and by February 2nd, it's like, forget it. It's because they expected like this whew, cram for fitness and show up mm. and it takes time. It took you that long to look the way you do. It's gonna take you a while to look the way you wanna look. It's acquired and wisdom is acquired, but foolishness is in us. It's in you to be stupid. It's just in you to make foolish decisions. Jerome Kagan, uh, world-renowned psychologist, professor at Harvard, uh, wrote an article in uh, the Atlantic Monthly, and, and he, uh, he talked about these three areas. And here's what he said, look at me, here's what he said. He said, after reviewing 36 different cultures, not just American culture, 36 different separate cultures and interviewing and resourcing and researching thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of children, they came to the conclusion that there are three primary habits that children engage when they deal with a threat, when they deal with something that's, that they're afraid of. And they are as follows. They're, these aren't in your notes. We may want to write these down. They are like innate in us. They're like, like instinctively, you know, reflex and they grow up and all of us deal with these. And they are, when we deal with a threat, anxious, aggressive, or philosophical. And the anxious person, when they deal with a threat, they might say this, I gotta get out of here, get me out of here. I don't wanna deal with this. It's too much to handle. I'm gonna put my, 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 my head into the turtle shell. I don't, get me out, no, run away, run away. And they're like road runner, beep, beep, psh. Then you have the aggressive and you know what they say? Mm, I got this, I got this, I can handle it. Let's do this. Come on, baby, let's face it. Let's face the giants. It's like that group of, you know, BMX bikers when I was eight years old. My friend Ryan Beers comes to me and says, the biker gang's coming after us. We want to have a dirt fight. And my brother says, I got this. I can handle this. And I'm like, get me out of here. <laughs> then there's the philosophical. Just calm down. Just calm down. Shh, easy, everybody. Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. Now, each one of these have its place but they can also be incredibly misplaced, especially if it's, your, if it's in your DNA to respond that way. That's why we have to parent well. <laughs> you know, I looked at this the very first time when I read that article and I looked at these and I remember this story. A few years ago, late at night after Wednesday night service, 
myself, our youth pastor at the time, Jimmy Ramsey, and our children's pastor at the time, Jason Soul, we all got in my SUV. We had attached on the back of it a large U-Haul trailer. And we, we left at like 10 o'clock at night to go to Dallas. We were gonna go to a conference the next day and we were gonna pick up some equipment for the church at a, at a warehouse and bring it back with us. So we had the empty trailer on the back of the, of the SUV. Pastor Jimmy, our youth pastor is driving. I'm in the passenger seat and Jason is in the back seat. And they're awake and J Jason's awake talking to Jimmy and I'm back you know, in, in the passenger seat trying to rest. And we come onto a bridge over a lake and that, you, that trailer pops off and it's hanging on by a chain. I'm on Miyagi that bug, I'm on my mind. <sighs> I didn't get it. <laughs> Moving on. So whoever it lands on, you have to double your tithe today. <laughs> don't land on, no. <laughs> so don't worry about that. The, the, the trailer pops off and it's hanging on and the automatic brake and immediately, I mean, you feel the whole vehicle and I'm up and Jimmy's going, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. And, and, and he's anxious. Oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. And, and I like go into like mom mode for some reason. And I got my hand on his shoulder and I'm patting him like, you got this dude, you got this, you got this, you can do it. You can do it, pull it to the side. You got this, you got this. And I'm, dude, I'm dying if I'm lying. And Jason Soul, our children's pastor is saying, you know, I've never been in this situation before. It's just kind of, it's kind of, he's like, he's getting all philosophical. Like, oh, this has never happened to me before. We get that thing stopped and I'm like, Jimmy, you are a champion. And Jimmy's like, ah, ah, ah. and Jason's like, well, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> the anxious, the aggressive, the philosophical, all at one. But you see it play out with your kids and you see it play out in marriages. Someone who's wired anxious, the moment the marriage doesn't look the way it should, get me out of here. Or some are saying, well, you know what? I got this, I can handle it. One spouse says, we got this. The other one says, just calm down. And understanding how we're wired will show us that reality is not the reality you ought to be living in, but the reality based on God's word and where he wants you to go and who he wants you to become is the reality. When we look at the, at the world through the lens of the word of God and relationship with Jesus, we can see where, yes, the anxious, that's good if you're in a dangerous situation, but if you're in a thing that's not so dangerous, you may miss opportunity. And then the aggressive guy, I got this, I can handle it. That's the guy that's got the motorcycle, hold my koozie and he, you know, kills himself. And then the philosophical, maybe they need to like activate, but they just wanna talk about it and they miss their opportunity as well. The article goes on to say in the Atlantic Monthly, it says, Here's what Jerome Kagan, again, child psychologist, here's what he says. Modern parents, listen up. Modern parents have been taught that their children need to find themselves and be themselves. Just whatever you feel, be it. And that's what culture is screaming to every single one of you. Whatever you feel, that must be right. From finances, to relationships, to sexuality, whatever you feel, that that's where you ought to live life. And if you try and live beyond that, well, what? Wake up. YOLO. You only live once. Just, just be yourself. 
Just be yourself. Modern parents find themselves, be themselves, but unless parents intervene, their children's natural temperament will dominate them. And everybody that's been a parent has seen that anxiousness in a child, the aggressiveness in a child, the philosophical in that child. And if it's activated in the wrong circumstance, it spells disaster. Unless parents intervene, their children's natural temperament will dominate them and they won't learn how to act wisely in situations. This sounds like a proverb. They won't learn how to act wisely in situations in which their habitual temperamental response is inappropriate. Good parenting will see the dark side of their children's temperament and will intervene, showing them that they have to engage a greater range of responses. And the word of God gives you the range. And some of us are living in the range of responses. All you know to do is what you saw dad do. And God gives you a range of responses that are right and holy and pleasing and wise. And oh, if you would just engage wisdom, you wouldn't live here with all those regrets. We gotta engage a greater range. Sounds a lot like what we already read. Listen, my son, to your father's instructions. And do not forsake your mother's teachings. Culture says this, write it down. Be yourself, just be yourself. Be yourself and that's enough. Be yourself and it's okay. Wisdom says push beyond yourself because you in yourself is not enough. You, your best you on your best day is not the best. But when you can surrender to Jesus, when you can surrender to his character, convictions and conduct and push beyond your inclination, and instinctive behavior to take on his conduct and his behavior. Whoa, you push beyond yourself and that is wisdom. Paul says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as what? Wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is and his will is wisdom. Number three, the process takes years. I said it before, it's an accumulative process. Wisdom accumulates. You don't just, voila, I found wisdom. It accumulates. On February 5th, Super Bowl Sunday, I will launch a series of messages that I believe are the most critical messages that we're gonna hear for our church in this time where our church is. We have cast vision, a grand vision. We're 90 years old this year, 90 years old, everybody. 90 years old, 90 years young. You know, when people are 90, they're like trying to figure out, I don't wanna buy you know, groceries for the whole week. It's a joke, it's a joke. You know, as babies, we say they're eight months, 12 months, 16 months old, you know. Then we, you know, we're, we're 13 and a half, you know. You get 90s, like 90 in lunch. Um, I'm sorry. I'm kidding, I'm, I'll be there, God, Lord willing. But what I'm saying is when people are 90, they're probably not thinking about what's the next excursion, what's the next crazy adventure. They're probably reminiscing on life. We got another adventure. We got, we got way more to live for than what to look back on. 
And God is calling us to go all in so we can go all out for his kingdom. And I'm asking you to, to, to chase wisdom, let it produce over time. And we wanna help you with that by discovering your God-given potential right here at Timber Creek Church. And if something we're gonna be doing is an all-in pregame. It's right there on your, on your study guide on the flip side. An all-in pregame, in order to get ready for that, we're doing a three-week workshop this Wednesday, next Wednesday, and the third Wednesday. And we're gonna dive deeper on prayer and how to do it, fasting, what it's for and how to do it, and then reading your Bible. And I'll be doing the reading your Bible part. And I'm gonna preach the message that has been the most requested message that I've had since I've been a pastor. And the, the message is, can I really trust the Bible? In a day and age of question, can I truly trust the Bible? Those three weeks, we're, I want you to go all in pregame because on Super Bowl Sunday, we're starting a journey together to expand our kids' center, to reach out into prisons across East Texas, to create community destinations where anyone can find and follow Jesus from water wells to tabernacles, from safe havens for children in sex trafficking. And the only way we can do it is if we all go all in. Another way we do that, another way we learn wisdom is being together in groups. In two or three weeks, we're gonna launch all our groups. If you would be interested in leading a group, you just wanna scratch the surface with no, no strings attached, you wanna know what is that all about? Meet Pastor Steven at the Next Steps kiosk outside in our lobby right after service and just say, hey, what's being a group leader about? There's some prerequisites. We don't let just anybody come in here. I wanna lead a group. Okay, come on, yeah. You, you gotta learn some stuff and be a part of our team, but, but ask the question because we wanna go all in. We wanna be wise in 2017. We wanna be full of wisdom in 2017. So, 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 the key question here now, I've built it up to the biblical, the, the biblical foundation. What is the key question that if you ask over 90% of your decisions, would give you less tears and less regrets and more clarity in your life? Here's the question, write it down. In light of my past experiences, based on where we've been, in light of my current circumstances, where I am right now, what I understand about relationships and finances and, and, and spiritual things, and in light of my future hopes and dreams, what I'm facing, here's the question I ask. In light of these things, Ready? And when I show it to you, I want everybody to say it out loud with strength. Ready? Here we go. What is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? This is my fifth now almost marriage. What did I learn here? And what is the wise thing to do? I, I got in trouble financially when I did that, 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 that. And now I'm at another decision. What is the wise thing to do? I know what they say that's gonna hurt me, but this feels so right. What is the wise thing to do? We're gonna, we're gonna unpack that over the next three weeks. And I want you to, this would be a great time to say to a friend, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Why don't you come check out Timber Creek Church? It'd be a great time because we're gonna get some handlebars for life. I invite you to be But the final question, that we'll leave you with today. So how do we get it, right? What is it? Why is it such a problem? Why is it so important? We obviously know the key question. So how do we then get wisdom so we can ask? Cause you can't ask what the wise thing to do is if you don't really know the wise thing. And if you don't have wisdom, you can't ask it. 
So what is the wise thing to do? How do we get there? Let me tell you where you start. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, when we hear the word fear, we've got this, this, this negative idea of fear. In fact, it sounds, it sounds weird to even talk about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What? I thought relationship with God would be like the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord? Well, it's because there's a paradoxical fear that we need to discuss. Because doesn't the Bible say, Jeremy, doesn't the Bible say that perfect love casts out all fear? And like, you know, God is love. So if he's perfect love and perfect love casts out all fear, why would you fear God to be the beginning of, of wisdom? That doesn't make any sense. Well, you don't understand the paradox of fear. Well, yeah, but doesn't the Bible say, you know, um, uh, you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. I mean, if he's not given us a spirit of fear, why do we have to start with the fear of the Lord? Well, there's the paradox of fear. There's the negative and the positive fear in the Old Testament. The negative and the positive fear. The negative fear, okay? I'm afraid of what my dad's gonna do when he gets home and he finds out that I was in his gun cabinet. And I was looking around and then I lost the key and now the door's open and it won't shut and I'm in trouble. My brother, 15 years old, ran his car through the garage door and he was so afraid of what he thought might happen. Dad's gonna be mad at him. He called my mom and said, somebody broke into the house. They ran their car through the garage door, I think. I didn't know how he was gonna explain that his hood on his car was crumpled up like an accordion. When we're afraid in a negative fear, we don't know. You know what it is? You may wanna write it down. We're afraid of what they might say or do to hurt you. A negative fear, you don't wanna bring it up. They might slap you, they might be mad at you, they might ridicule you, they might criticize you. And a negative fear of someone, what might happen if they see me this way? That's not the fear that God wants you to live with when it comes to Him, okay? Positive fear is a completely different take on relationship with God. When Janet and I had our first baby, Sage, June 26, 2003, that next week, I'm gonna give her a bath for the first time. And wow, that was nerve wracking. I remember Janet getting the water started and we were, we were in the sink. It was a trembling fear. It was a, a healthy fear. You know, 
moms and dads and siblings. You get that little baby and they've got that soft spot on top of their head and you don't, ooh, I bump their soft spot and you're just, or their little neck, you wanna hold their neck up, you know. You don't, you don't grab a little baby by their ankle. You, you hold them and you pat them and you, you're soft and, and tender. We'll see, are you gonna cooperate? It's okay if you don't. You didn't ask to be here. God is not a baby. In fact, it's really reversed children in his hands but when it comes to a positive fear I don't want to do anything in my life that would grieve God I don't want to do anything hastily that would I mean not 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 hurt him physically because you can't hurt God physically but the Bible is very clear that God has emotions where do you think you got him and to hurt his heart by the way we live he Oh, I've got something better for you. And the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowing what to do and how to do it and when to do it and when to activate it is fearing the Lord, trembling with God. I want to please you. I want to serve you. I want to do whatever it takes to honor you. It's not another book you're going to read. It's the tender relationship that God provides through his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Mama. Perfect timing. The steps you take and the place you walk and the, the ledge that you get close to, it feels a lot different when you're holding something precious. I don't got any problem stepping up here and being a little bold, a little crazy, but I put that baby in my hand, whoo, something changes. And that's what happens in a relationship with Jesus. Holly would have smacked me with a frying pan if I would have taken little Tori up here and tried to put, you know, rollerblades on. Watch this. That'd be stupid. And some of us, we, that's how we're living. The other place, we're afraid of what you might say or do to hurt them. That's the fear of the Lord. And the other thing we need to do as we end today, embrace the foolishness of grace. The same way that there's a positive and negative fear, the Bible shows us that there's a positive and negative foolishness. How do you get to the point where you can truly tremble in his presence? Okay, I know you wanna put your notes up and everything, but hear this final thought this final thought what do you do to, when you tremble in his presence how do you get there do you get there out of negative fear no how do you get there positive you understand the foolishness of grace and when we see the cross let me back it up when we see the cross understand this the bible says in the new testament the cross is foolishness to those that don't believe 
Because if we had it our own way, if we did it the way we were wired, if we were God and we wanted to come and be the Messiah, we would have brought an army of angels and we would have brought, you know, golden tanks and chariots and horses. And Jesus comes and he humbles himself and he's a chief servant and he's born in a barn and he lives a quiet life for 90% of his life. He, 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 receives a excruciating death that just seems foolish if you're going to save the world if you're going to save the world shoot the missiles come in with strength come in with a plan come in and grab Pontius Pilate by the ear and say see a sport guess who's in town but the foolishness of the cross that's what gives us access to him because if he was just some kind of malevolent, malevolent dictator that says, my way or the highway, all you would do is tremble in his presence, afraid of what he might do to you. But because he humbled himself and died for you, it gives us access to tenderly walk in that relationship, not wanting to abuse it or manipulate it. And I had a hard time understanding this scripture, Psalm 130, verse four. But in that context, it makes perfect sense to me. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. The foolishness of grace says that because of his forgiveness on the cross, we gain access to relationship like that. And friends, it's not the other book. It's not another blog. It's not another lesson. We get wisdom when we begin to truly fear the Lord. That's where it starts. Would you pray with me this morning? If you're facing some decisions and you need to ask what is the wise thing, would you raise a hand? I want to pray for you today. Yeah, me too. All over the room. Father, from marriages that are in trouble, to finances that are hurting, to business decisions that involve major change. Oh God, we start by coming before you, creator of heaven and earth. Show us what the wise thing to do. Show us the wise thing. Reveal, may we learn the wise thing to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.